0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books in Education, a channel in the New Books Network. My name is Akir Englander, your host today. Jen Simons devoted her career as a social worker and educator to the study, treatment, and care of children with autism. In 1955, she established the Linwood Children's Center in Maryland, one of the first schools dedicated to children with autism. Her language model developed there was widely adapted and still forms a basis for a variety of autism intervention techniques. Incredibly, although unknown at the time, Jean was herself autistic. Behind the mirror reveals a remarkable tale of Simone. In this interview, I speak with Dr. Sabine Oishi, who co-authored this book with Simons, and also their first book, The Hidden Child. Welcome, Sabine, to the New Book Podcast. My question for you is, can you tell me and us a little bit about um, the process of writing and um, editing and bringing the memoir of uh, Jean Simons?
1: Well, this started out... um... Quite accidentally. Uh, Jean, uh, well, I, I had been asked to uh, write about Jean Simmons' methods, treatment methods, which had never been written down the whole time that she practiced at Le She had retired, she was uh, in frail health. People were afraid that her methods which had been taught by example, uh, would get lost. And so they were looking for somebody to try and tease out the different elements of her method and then write them down. And I was lucky enough to get that job. And I spent a year at her center, Linwood, which she founded in 1955, exclusively for children um, on the spectrum And uh, the end result of that year of observing at Linwood and going through old uh, materials and talking and talking and talking to Jean was our book, The Hidden Child. During that time, I obviously got to know Jean Simmons somewhat. And by happenstance, I came across in the old materials that she handed me, a little vignette that she had written about her childhood. And uh, I read that, it was very vivid. It's a description that is in the book. Um, And I thought, well, this is describing an autistic child. But this woman, she's a world authority. She's an international star. And, you know, there's absolutely no indication that she's anything but, uh, you know, well-functioning professional anyway. I eventually asked her, and she said, oh, yes, I'm autistic. Um, I didn't know that until I was middle-aged, and it really doesn't make any difference, I don't think. Well, I thought it made a difference because it explained her, uh, uncanny ability to find the entry points uh, into treatment with these very, very difficult children. She started telling me a little bit more about her life and it was fascinating. Her life as such was like an adventure story. But what she told me and what she had written also in some vignettes about her childhood was um, an absolute treasure trove because it described in vivid and minute detail, the enormous challenges that a, what we now call neurodivergent child uh, meets along the way from birth on and through the rest of their lives. I had never ever in literature read anything Uh, that even approached that kind of detail and um, I urged her to tell me more and I then urged her uh, to let me find a publisher for this story. So we spent a lot of time and I listened and I wrote it down and then I tried to find a publisher and I couldn't. That was back in 1988 or so. At that point, autism was not at all on the front burner. And um, people said, oh, memoirs, you know, they don't sell well. So I put it in the drawer. Eventually, Gene Simmons died. And um, a few years ago, I took it out again. I had promised her that I would try and get it published. So through a a number of uh, wonderful coincidences, I linked up with people who eventually um, connected me with the uh, Johns Hopkins University Press. In the meantime, I had done a lot of additional writing, uh, introductions, uh, uh, commentary. Uh, I had then been asked to cut down uh, this very, very long memoir and focus uh, mostly on uh, episodes that showed uh, Jean Simmons' uh, own uh, challenges as well as her teaching and her teaching uh, uh, career and then her, her teaching and uh, experiences at Linwood. And I did that, and that's the book.
0: And can you tell us a little bit about the choices? Like it, it's you mentioned. You mentioned just um, in, in um, just before that part of her method was to go by case studies, like to go and try to understand by examples. And the book or the memoir does the same, right? You go and each chapter we meet, where um, we see how she meets different children and how by react to them and create relationship with them in unique way, something is happening. And I wonder about this um, methods that you don't go to a big theory beyond but you really go by cases or by examples. Can you elaborate more around that?
1: Well, <clears throat> it's not cases and it's not examples. Uh, what, Jean, uh, what was unique about her was that right from the beginning, she was trained as a Montessori teacher in Holland and right. she worked as a teacher uh, actually never in a classroom, but always with individuals or groups of children in Holland. Uh, and there's uh, a number of uh, chapters and, uh, and, uh, that describe her work with individuals. And uh, later then uh, she worked uh, at a children's house in Washington before she founded Linwood. Yeah. And no matter the child, no matter the problem of the child, she just accepted that child the way he or she was. There was no theory. In fact, she insisted that she did not know about autism until years into working at Linwood, even though she was a friend of Leo Panner's who, quote, invented autism in 1945. Uh, She was simply not interested. It didn't make any difference to her what people said uh, about theories or about diagnosis. She looked at each child, observed their behavior, found things that she felt she could work with, and then started at that point uh, working with the child and slowly, slowly using whatever the child offered in terms of uh, openings, um, behaviors or interests and using them to slowly shape a more functional behavior. Now, I then had to break down that method into elements to write my first book. And, uh, you know, I could read through the whole book Uh, to describe these, uh, these elements, but each child was an individual. Each child had its own journey. And the only thing that was the same was Jean's absolute acceptance. She never labeled any behavior as dysfunctional or bad. She simply said, this is what the child can do at this point. This is the best they can do with whatever limitations they have and we need to use that and move them forward.
0: So what I hear is absolutely non-judgmental.
1: Absolutely non-judgmental. Right. And, uh, neither judgmental of the children nor judgmental of the parents with whom she empathized uh, uh, in fact, she founded Linwood because she felt that the children that she had been working with at children's house were so incredibly difficult that uh, it was simply too much for the parents to uh, deal with. And the danger was at that time that these children would invariably end up warehoused In institutions for the rest of their lives.
0: So in that way, what she tried, because something that I was not, it was not clear for me because I really felt how she accepted child as a child is. However, I felt also that maybe she has a goal to help the child to communicate better with the people around them?
1: The goal was not to communicate, though communication obviously is one of the challenges of uh, children on the spectrum. Uh, Language and communication is is, uh, an area in which most of them are very, very severely challenged. Um, So it's easier to work with children who already have language than children who don't um, but they can, you, you can communicate with children and they can communicate with you in, in ways other than language. Um, the goal always was, in each case, to lead a child from behaviors that isolated them, that uh, uh, were unhelpful, that were uh, counterproductive, in a direction that uh, made them, uh, that made their behavior more functional and that would eventually allow uh, to integrate them into uh, society in what, at whatever level they were capable of. And uh, what we have to understand uh, in uh, uh, talking about the spectrum, uh, it is a spectrum that goes from uh, a very heavily afflicted or uh, divergent um, individuals to very high functioning. What used to be in the olden days called Asperger um, individuals, and they are now subsumed mm-hmm. into the spectrum. And so depending on their level of intellectual functioning uh, and their level of language, the level of their uh, possible integration uh, differs, so you can't uh, ahead of time uh, say, "Well, that the goal for all children is to go to a to a regular school," or whatever other goal you might have. You have to work with what is possible uh, on the basis of a child's genetic makeup.
0: And when you, try to, when you try to bring and um, like you go back and back and you said that she didn't like to create a theory. And I wonder how, if it's connected to the fact that it was hard for her for so many years to identify herself on the spectrum and i wonder if how you look at that not how jean look at that how you look at that like do you find that by trying to theorize and to try to create categories does it help like would the life of jean would be much easier if she would be identify herself as on the spectrum many years before
1: no wouldn't have made no difference at all.
0: Help me to understand that.
1: Yeah. Well, she functioned perfectly fine. Right? She became. She went through school. She went. She became a teacher. She became a social worker. She became an international authority. Uh, it didn't make any difference uh, to her to her professional uh, success and her functioning.
0: But the personal and the fact, journey.
1: And the fact that she was. On the spectrum, uh, had she had a diagnosis any earlier, it would not have made any difference in her inability to emotionally, uh, you know, to develop uh, relationships. That that there's there are certain characteristics of people on the spectrum that are there. So, you have blue eyes or brown eyes you have them all your life and um, if uh, you know somebody were to tell you that uh, um, because you uh, have uh, uh, blonde hair uh, you're more uh, susceptible to some disease or other um, you know there's nothing you can do about it it just is so a diagnosis. Uh, first of all, there was no diagnosis when Jean was born. Right. A diagnosis was not really even available until she until she was uh, uh, thirty four years old, and uh, she uh, did. Uh, abs- she she dealt with her challenges and. And that's really the heart of the book. And that's what I'm much more interested in than all this theorizing, Uh, is the fact that she was able to describe what it is like to be autistic. And that would not have changed if somebody had said, oh, this child is autistic, wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever. I'm reading uh, from her early memories. My earliest memory is of lying in the basket with a soft, shimmering light over me. I also remember the smell of roses wafting over me. There is a sense of peacefulness, of nothingness. She's about five months old at that point. Then everything changes. Suddenly, there is nothing but pain. It is like being blown into a thousand small pieces. There is pain without hurt. And then there is terror without knowing what terror is. The little pieces scramble together again, whirling into a ball only to be blown apart again, and then try and find, finally get together again. Then the peace and nothingness returns. Roses bloom early in Belgium. So it was probably May, and I was perhaps five months old at the time of this memory. I think that the pain that threatened to explode my fragile self, awash in light and the scent of roses came from the intrusion of my mother's voice. My mother had a beautiful voice and she loved babies. When she spoke to them, her voice was soft and gentle. Yet to me, it was almost unbearably painful. I do not know why, but I knew instinctively that unless I could block it out, it might destroy me. Even today, when I smell roses or see light shine through a veil, it can make me feel incredibly peaceful. And it can, can make me lose myself and all sense of time and shift me back where I'm drifting weightlessly in warm warmth and light. This peacefulness is seductive and dangerous. It would be so easy to stay there forever. For that reason, I avoid roses and I'm afraid of them while at the same time, they attract me. So you have this very early memory before there is speech. Right. She's trying to describe it. And when she described it, she was tense. She was she was struggling for words to describe this pain. And this pain to some degree repeats whenever there is intrusion of feeling, of emotion from others towards her from her towards others, she has to close that down to be able to continue to function. That's not something that depends on other people's action. It simply is.
0: So what's Jean try in in her memoir to tell us, the readers, who some of us, some of us of the readers probably are not on the spectrum. Which kind of dialogue she wishes to create with a a reader?
1: What kind of dialogue does it create with the reader?
0: Yes, with the readers. Like when we read this memoir, and when you try to capture, to try to take from the memoir, something that you want us the readers to take from that. What is the main teachings? What are the main teachings?
1: Well, the, uh, the value of this memoir uh, is exactly that. It, it reveals something that has not been accessible before. And so a reader, whether it be a layperson or a parent or a caretaker or a teacher, yes. will have insight into what it feels like to be on the spectrum, what the challenges are, how this one person has dealt with those challenges. Other uh, people may deal with them differently, but we uh, come to understand the main challenges and the main challenges are emotions, emotional um, communications, emotional connections, social integration. Another huge challenge is, and uh, uh, Jane Simmons describes this also in many, many um, incidents in her childhood, is the uh, great difficulty that these children have with any kind of change. And uh, she describes that in in a number of of ways, how she dealt with it, but it will alert us to the fact, as a reader, um, that that change for these children is an enormous challenge, very frightening. And so when a child uh, on the spectrum uh, is, uh, is forced to go from one situation to another, and uh, starts uh, behaving in odd ways or aggressive ways, uh, we then remember, ah, this is a difficult situation. We have to help here. We have to make it easier for this child uh, to, with this, uh, you know, to deal with this tradition. Maybe we have to take it in smaller steps or we at least understand why this kid is screaming. Or is, you know, having a shot, shuts down, or has other behaviors. So, the, the, uh, it is not a dialogue, it is a teaching, it is a, it is a, a revelation, uh, for people who are interested either in the phenomenon of autism or, and especially for people who live with, uh, a person on the spectrum, a child on the spectrum. It's a gift. It's not inviting a dialogue, it's a gift uh, that opens our eyes uh, and then redirects our thinking, but also uh, makes it possible to, it sort of demystifies what is a very mysterious disorder. Uh, we don't know uh, the, the root causes. Uh, that's still, you know, there's still a lot of research going on into all the different possible causes. Uh, we don't, the treatment is on a hit-and-miss basis, kind of. Um, but for the first time, we see insight because the way a diagnosis is made for any uh, psychiatric disorder or developmental disorder is by observation only. You can only see behavior. And when you diagnose uh, these children or try to diagnose, it's mostly parental uh, observations. It's a checklist. It, <clears throat> you put together and then you say, yeah, Baba, you have nine of 12. Of and yes, that puts this child on that. But you don't, really you don't know what what the child really feels or 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 faces Mm -hmm. you only see the behavior and the behavior may be very odd you don't know why some children appear to be deaf and they're not but they have closed down in part because they have to defend against social input emotional input or because they're highly oversensitive to sound. Um, Many of these children don't seem to feel pain. Uh, We don't know why, but we need to know that. So when they hurt themselves and they don't cry, it doesn't mean that that they're not badly hurt. Yes. Um, uh, Some are uh, excessively sensitive to light and other sensory input. And many of these phenomenon and how it affects the person are told us by Jean.
0: So My question is Sabine, what was her method to teach? Since she didn't try to, to create a theory to try to go to um, to create a structure, but she communicate, it, it sounds that it was almost, I don't know how to say that, natural for her to to communicate with the kids I wonder how she taught her, her way.
1: Are you asking how she taught other professionals? Yes. She had to observe.
0: Can you her, say more?
1: people said, you're a miracle worker. She said, I'm not a miracle worker. Anybody can do what I do. Well, that was a little I, bit. Yeah,
0: genius. it sounds a little bit too much.
1: Well. At the time, she really believed that because at the time, she really did not yet realize that she had a special uh, insight. But she said it's all based on observation. And that is one of the things that is unique to her method was that there was always a very long, well, with some children, it was longer with other children, it wasn't as long period of simply observing them in their the ways that they approached the world or not or hid from the world. Yes. And when you went to Linwood as I did uh, trying to figure out Mm. what was going on you just watched and you watched what the teachers did and you watched the interventions and you asked why why at this point did you do this? Well, because I saw that this child had made this move. So it told me that he or she's ready for the next step. And uh, if you watched long enough, you started understanding what they were looking for, how they were using what the child revealed to move them on. And it was all by example, and that's why it needed, or they felt it needed my book, because once Jean wasn't there anymore to teach by example, uh, they felt that, uh, and, you know, the world, the whole world could not come to Linwood to watch for a year. Um, It needed something uh, written down, but that that parsing that I did was really, um, and obviously Gene approved each chapter, uh, was trying to figure out each of the steps of the interventions that they used to slowly shape behavior or move a child forward. Mm -hmm. But observation was the absolute key And when you read her descriptions of how she worked with some non-autistic children, like this little boy, Peter, uh, you see that she did nothing for a long time. She simply interacted with the child, watched him, let him be. And then at a point where she had him, because he had a certain interest, he had something he wanted. He wanted her little sister to come and visit. That's when she, that's when she had him. That's when she had a little entry, and she used it and moved him into a public school eventually.
0: So thank you so much for bringing us behind the mirror.
1: You're very welcome. It uh, is a story and a person that was very close to my heart.
0: Thank you for doing that. Thank you.